Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Luke chapter 4 verse 17. When you've got it, shout out yes. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Or in the latest NIV version, it says, and they are full of greed. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, made to be like God, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you have have your Bibles, just turn with me just one more time to the book of Romans, the book of Romans. The pages of my beautiful Bible are still sticking together, but turn with me to the book of Romans chapter one, and we're just gonna read out one more passage of scripture today. The Bible tells us in verse 18, Romans chapter one, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. When I read this passage of scripture in the Romans chapter one, while I was on a holiday in the first week of my holidays at the beginning of this year, God did something in my heart. I read the passage and was I've memorized Romans chapter one. I know this chapter off by heart. I remember the bus stop just off Shortland Street in Auckland when at the age of 18, I memorized Romans chapter one. But as I was reading this passage of scripture at the beginning of this year, and I got to the verses that I've just read to you this morning, I was convicted by a simple thought. And the thought was that God is after my thoughts. The reason why I was convicted by it was because the Scripture is saying that the wrath of God is being revealed against people because of the godlessness, the lack of God, and the wickedness. In other words, the depravity and the selfishness and the greed of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness because what may be known about God is plain. It's out there. You can know God if you want. But then he goes on in verse 18, and sorry, in verse 21, he says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So because they didn't glorify him, because they didn't give thanks to him, the scripture says their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I was just quickened by the simple thought that if thinking can become futile, 
then thinking can also become alive. That if my life, my mind, my thoughts are filled with thoughts that are glorifying God and giving thanks to Him in all circumstances, no matter what is going on, if I can take my thoughts and as the Bible says, make them obedient to Christ, then my life could be truly blessed. Out of that, we're preaching a series at the moment on this topic of in wonder about the power of worship. And then after conference in the month of August, we're doing another series inspired by this passage about our thoughts, because I believe that God is after our worship and God is after our minds. The Bible says they, they failed, they failed to glorify God. They failed to give thanks to Him. You and I were designed to live our lives out of a God view. And when we lose our God view, something very evil, something very, very futile begins to set into our minds in the way that we think. And so when we jump over to Ephesians chapter four, the Bible tells us that we should no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Same thought being echoed again in a new passage. It goes on and explains about the Gentiles that they are darkened in their understanding. Gentiles simply being a cool word to describe people who don't know Jesus Christ. And it says about them, that first thing is that they are darkened. They are darkened, they cannot see the light in the realm of their understanding and the way that they think, the way that they reason, the way they process the events of their life. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated. There is some kind of division between them and the life of God. So God came to give us life, and the Bible talks about the life of God in the book of John chapter 1, and says that in Jesus was life, and that life was like the light of men. And we understand about God that His plan for us is that we would not live our lives in darkness. Can you say amen to that? God's plan for our lives is that we would live in life, that we would live in light. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And when a, when a person's life is connected to God, then they live their lives with this feeling of light, feeling like there is awe, there is wonder, there is amazement when you have been tuned into God and your spirit is alive and you are glorifying Him. When you are living your, lives, your life as a worshiper, then the outflow of that is a life that is filled with a sense of wonder to be filled with a sense of I am alive for a reason. I'm here on this planet. I have so much to be thankful for. I'm unique. I'm special. I'm precious. God is amazing. The people in my life are amazing. And this wonder is to discovered through worship and is not determined by circumstances. It's something that God gives to us. It's His gift that we can find His presence, His life. And the Bible tells us they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. And it describes this separation. It says they are separated because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. This word hardening is literally a word that in the Greek could accurately be translated due to the callous. 
He's saying that the reason why people in this world who don't know God are not living with the sense of life and light that they could if they just put Jesus in their rightful place is because there is an ignorance in their understanding, an ignorance that is in their life that is caused by the hardening of their hearts. So the problem that separates us from the life God wants for us is a problem of the heart. And the Bible says that it is like a callus, like a hardening. You know, um, my, my daughter Lara it loves the monkey bars at school. Anybody got a daughter who loves the monkey bars? I mean, if you think that you're doing well in life, that you're strong, just look at a, at a nine-year-old girl. I mean, you know, I mean, the boys kind of give up on the monkey bars pretty quick, but there's these girls, you know, and, and I see what they can do. Lara can go from one monkey bar, skip out the middle one, reach to the next, and then go to the next. You know, she can jump off something, take all of her body weight, propel it significantly in front of her, grab a monkey bar, and then just swing her body. I mean, a lot of people in this room, if they did that, might grab the bar, but then would break the neck. I mean, she is so strong. The kids are so strong. And across her hands, she has these amazing callus all the way across them, like three or four ridges, two on her fingers, another one on the top of her palm, another one in the middle of her palm. And the reason why they are there is that the callus form on her hands so that when she swings on the monkey bars, she feels no pain. And here's the simple thought that whenever we have a hardening in our hearts, whenever there is a callous in our lives, things that should cause us pain don't. It's like it's, like it's there, it's around us, it should pain our lives, but it doesn't. What should cause us pain doesn't. And on the flip side, what should bring us pleasure doesn't. I mean, you know, if, if you know people that are ticklish, right? and you grab their feet, you know, the most ticklish part of any ticklish person's body is always going to be their feet, right? And if you, no, I hate feet, by the way, but anyway, let's move on from that. <laughs> feet are disgusting, feet are of the devil, but anyway. If you grab somebody's foot who likes to walk around in bare feet during the summer, you could try and tickle them on the ball of their foot all you want, and you're not going to get even a chuckle. Why? Because that big ball on the end of their foot is just one big callus. And no matter what is happening, it is not going to cause them pleasure and it is not going to cause them pain. But if you get that little arch in their foot that never touches the ground and you just put your little pinky finger and rub it backwards and forwards, you can take a growing man, six foot tall, you know, muscles like guns and have him absolutely yelling at you, stop it, stop it, stop it. If you, that's assuming you could hold him still. And the reason why is the absence of callous makes our life sensitive. And the Bible tells us that something gets lost in our lives. We lose, we lose our sensitivity. We can be living in a world where God is everywhere. That's what it means to be a worshiper. To be a worshiper means to be living in this world and aware that the God of the universe is not absent, not devoid of reality. He's not, he's not gone, but He's here. He's everywhere. And when you're living your life not hardened, then you live your life with this feeling of wonder. To be in wonder is to wake up in the morning and know that God is alive. It's not determined by your circumstance, but it's just to know, Jesus, you are with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. The only way you can know that is when you're living your life in wonder, in worship, when you've got the life of God in your life. But the reality is, friends, that even though 
I meet, I meet lots of new believers, you know, all the time. I love meeting new believers. And in fact, this tour is amazing because, you know, you go to some places. We, we went to Timaru this year. We've never been there before. Um, you know, when we got to to, uh, to Christchurch this year, I think, or Timaru, one of the two places. Sorry, to Blenheim. When we got to Blenheim this year, uh, five pastors drove from the West Coast, Greymouth and what's the other place that's over there? Hokitika, from Greymouth and Hokitika, uh, and they, uh, Westport, no, sorry, Westport, Westport and Greymouth, and they drove all the way over to Blenheim, four hours drive to be there in 90 minutes of pastor's talks, have lunch with us afterwards, and then drive four hours back. Spend about five times, you know, maybe three or four, three times the amount of time in their car that they did with us, but they're there and they're like, oh man, we're so blessed to be here, we're so appreciative, and a new believer's like that, they're like, like, oh man, I can't, you mean you don't have to pay to come to church? You know, I can't believe that I get, I get to come twice on a Sunday. But the drift in life is not towards wonder. The drift in life is completely the other way. In fact, I believe that for most people, the natural state that we find ourselves is somewhere in what I like to call the spiral of unwonder. Drifting away from wonder, the opposite of wonder. Very few people that you meet would you genuinely say that they are just alive with the life of Christ. Most often we're somewhere drifting away from Him. So how is it? How does it happen? Well, the first thing that happens to us as we drift away from wonder, where we start to move from this life that is connected to the life of Christ, this life that is filled with glorifying God and giving thanks to Him. Where we stop giving thanks, where we lose the glorification of God, and when we therefore drift in the spiral of unwonder is when we allow in our lives, number one, indifference. The natural state of life is to drift towards indifference. Does anybody remember when iPhone 3s came out? I mean, I'll never forget when an iPhone 3 came out. Up until then, Arise had always been on Blackberries, you know, and every, every two years, Vodafone give all our people brand new phones, and, you know, it's just, it's just such a great delight when you get your new phone. You're just like, oh, my gosh, we didn't even pay for them. They give it to us. I describe it as being like a drug dealer who gives out free syringes, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it's actually a tool, but you know what I'm saying? It's like... But, but we, we do it because it actually saves us a lot of money. We save huge amounts of dollars on what we used to spend. And anyway, they give you a new phone. You've got your iPhone 3, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I have an iPhone 3. Blackberries are so yesterday. It's all iPhones now. You know, you remember that? And then you get your iPhone 3, and you've got it for a while. Then suddenly out comes the iPhone 3S. Anybody remember that? And you're like, oh, that looks nice. And this iPhone was like in your hand. You're like, Boo, boo, boo. It's like glowing. You're like, you're just, I, I have an iPhone, you know? And then next thing you know, iPhone 4s come out, and then an iPhone 4S, and you know, now we've got an iPhone 5, and I don't know what's going to be next, but it's going to fly by itself, I reckon. But anyway, <laughs> and suddenly you're looking at an iPhone that you used to have, and what you were once so pumped about, kept it in a precious place, made sure it was protected. Now you're just aware that two years have come and gone, and everybody's got a better phone than you. And what you were once so appreciative of, you're now indifferent. This is not just about your phone. It's about your life. It's about God. Because we come alive in Christ, right? And we're just like, oh my gosh, you mean, you mean, you mean I, get to, I, mean, I get to do this? And then we're suddenly like, oh, well, you know, it's raining. 
I don't know if I'm going to be bothered going to church in the rain. You know what I mean? It's like, what? What? Are you kidding me? But indifference begins to set in. It happens in everything. When we lose God, then indifference kicks in. And listen, indifference is not God's will for us. The reason why I know that is because it's not found in heaven. There's no indifference in heaven. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us that, there are, that when Isaiah saw the Lord and saw the throne of God and saw these powerful celestial beings we describe as cherubims, they were covered with eyes. And the Bible tells us that they were circling the throne of God. These smart beings, I mean, you can only see out of two. Can you imagine your whole being being covered with eyes? Imagine the processing power, the brain, the intelligence. These powerful celestial beings never live with the limits that you and I live in this carnal fallen body, living in a mortal state. They're wrapped in immortality. And for millennium of human history, the same beings have have been circling the throne of God. And you know what they've been doing? They've just been shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the moment they finish it is the moment they start it all over again. No indifference. Why? Because the God of the universe is wonderful. He is beyond comprehension. He is amazing. And to be in His presence is the exact opposite of indifference. But it sets in, doesn't it? When when our thoughts are not obedient to Christ, when we're not living our life in glorification and in worship, then we slip and we find ourselves in indifference. Ho-hum. Ho-hum. How's your day? Okay. I hate that. How are you doing? All right. You'll never hear me say that. Honestly, people who know me, no, I never will say that to you. Never would say that to you. And even if it's been a pretty average day, I'm going to find something good in it and tell you that. Some people in New Zealand need to learn a superlative. Superlative. What a great word even that is. Superlative. Something that's just kind of like a little bit ridiculous. Like, how was your day? Phenomenal. How are you feeling today? Outrageously happy. Just throw it in there. Just, just choose something different. <laughs> it's indifference, right? But the problem is that you and I were created to worship. That's the reason why we're doing this series, because we were created to worship. The whole end of man, the, the, the whole purpose of humanity is to know God and to make Him glorious, to, to, to live our lives in rapture. We can't even understand heaven. I mean, I don't have time to do it. It's not on my notes, but heaven is just so amazing. Julian mentioned last Sunday night that we're not married in heaven, and people are like, what are you talking about? I love this person. That's because we can't even understand what it's like to be in an environment of perfect love where I don't even need another person. I mean, I love Julian. It seems weird to me to even speak about it because I can't imagine a life without her. I don't want one without her. But when I'm in heaven, I won't need anything else. There will be no deficiency, no lack, no... Heaven is just a place of wonder. And so when we've lost that, when we've lost what God offers to us, indifference kicks in, but we cannot stay there because we're not destined, not designed to stay there. So we slip. And the next stage in our spiral of unwonder is to move from indifference to fantasy. Well, when I say the word fantasy, a bunch of people out there are thinking lured. I'm not meaning that. What I'm meaning is that we get to a place in our lives where we're no longer happy with what we've got. And so now we begin to think about what we could have, what we need, what we desire. 
I'm a cyclist. I bought my bike two years ago. I've done thousands of kilometers on it. I love it to pieces. And the reality is that my bike is not the determiner of the speed of my riding. It's my physical fitness. But at the end of the day, I'm looking in magazines and what I'm seeing in there is not the bike that I've got now. I'm not drifting towards increasingly being attached to the bike that I've got now. What I'm thinking about is the bike that I don't have. Because that's the way we do it, isn't it? That's the way we go. Our iPhone 3 is boring, and now we want an iPhone 5. We want an upgrade. We want something new. We do it in everything. When we first meet the person of our dreams, we're like, can't get enough of them. We're talking for four hours on the weekends, on the phone. We're sending the messages. We can't wait to be around them. You know, we're up till midnight just talking, you know. And I know this is the morning series and not the night one, but girls, you just need to know the moment you marry him, he's not going to stay up late talking. It's, it's not going to happen. Right, but what really happens is we lose our sense of we love this and then we start to just get, we just take it for granted. And then out of that, we then, we then have a void in our lives because we cannot live without wonder. The makeup of our, of, our, of our creator and the way that we originally were wired when we discovered him and discovered ourselves, our, our natural state is to live in wonder. So then we begin to fantasize. We dream about something else to fill the gap being created by the deficiency that our indifference has led us to. A fantasy is not something lured. It's just an if only. If only I had a better car. If only I had a better job. If only my wife was 10 years younger. If only I was living here. If only I could have that holiday. If only, if only, if only. And we start to get trapped in a place. You know, we're talking with a girl at the office. You know, I'm I'm just saying hypothetically for somebody to talk to someone at the office. And suddenly it's like, well, you know. uh, And then, then we begin to turn our thoughts in that direction. And this is the way that lives get trapped because they just became familiar with what they had. Now we're beginning to think about something else and our thoughts going crazy and we live with a sense of a fantasy and then fantasy leads us to the point where now we are not, no longer committed to what we're doing, no longer happy with the life that we're, we're living now. And so the final stage of the spiral of unwonder is withdrawal. Why would I fix a disagreement with a wife that I don't really feel like I wanna be married to? when I'm thinking about somebody else? Why would, I, why would I service the car when, you know, it's not really the car that I want to have? Why would I turn up early for work when I really deserve a better job? Why would I come to church when I'm not getting the same thing out of it anymore? And the drift is towards withdrawal. And so suddenly we become, in our society, withdrawn. And, and you know it. You know it's systemic in our culture. It's everywhere. As people are living their lives discarding possessions and discarding relationships. And, you know, we've been talking about in our, our uh, Sex, Love, and Rock and Roll series about the fact that young people today have begun to unfriend their real friends. I mean, it's one thing to unfriend somebody on Facebook. It's a whole other thing to lead to a place where you're so living out of touch with what reality really looks like that you're just so trapped in the spiral that we just move on from relationship without, without any thought to fidelity, loyalty, commitment. And when you read Romans 1, it's amazing as it begins to describe for us, you know, when you read Romans 1, it goes on and out of what we've talked about when they failed to glorify God, it begins to talk about sexual perversion. But then when you get down beneath that, it starts talking about the fact that they are, they are senseless, faithless, 
ruthless and heartless. That the pinnacle of a life that is separated from God is that they can't feel anymore, they don't care anymore, they're not loyal anymore, and we withdraw from the life that we're living right now. It's gonna get better, it's okay. Don't just turn to the person next to you and say, it's all right, we're gonna pick it up in just a sec. <laughs> and the spiral sucks a generation in. And I believe that God doesn't want us to live our lives on that spiral. I don't believe it's His plan. I don't believe it's His purpose. I don't believe it's what Jesus went to the cross to purchase for you and I. When Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life in all its fullness, He wasn't suggesting that He'd give you a better car or a better job or Botox your wife. He was saying, He was saying, I'm going to give you a life that is so darn amazing that your circumstances don't have to change, but you will just be really just stoked to be living the life you're living now because a lack of me is the problem and the presence of me is the solution. Somebody in every venue say amen. Amen. And here's the thing, the Bible goes on and it describes for us in Ephesians 4. It says, having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over, verse 18, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality. So when you're no longer feeling what you need to feel from God, you then become sensual. To be sensual means to want to feel. They gave themselves over to sensuality. You know, give me another drug, give me another experience, give me another rush, give me another thing, give me another relationship, just pump me up, I want something new, I want something more, just, you know, fill my life with what is lacking. And what's lacking is sensitivity to God. A life in wonder is what we lack. Having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Because the source of our contentment is God. And without Him, we have to feel, we can only feel the right things when they come from him. So when we lose our sensitivity, we give ourselves over to sensuality, feelings, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. What's impurity? Just an artificial additive that you're not supposed to have with a continual need for more because it'll never plug the gap because the gap is God. So then the Bible leads us to another spiral. It's called the spiral of wonder. Let me just rub out un because we've got to start talking about this thing. Turn the person next to you and say, it's about to get happy. It's about to get happy. It goes on in the next verse of Scripture. It says to us, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to number one, put off your old self. He's saying the first stage towards living your life not, no longer on that spiral, no longer sensual, no longer away from God, no longer separated from His life. If you're gonna to move towards the life of God, then where it begins is in the place where you put off your old self. I remember the day I found Jesus. Does anybody remember the day you found Jesus? I remember being 18 years old, going into a hall where, you know, it was an old hall in the back of New Lynn. You know, the preacher was just an angry guy. You know, the worship leader looked like Jim Carrey in the movie The Mask. He had this crazy smile on his face. He wore a wig. But anyway, in the middle of it all, I found Jesus. I found Jesus on May the 12th, my father's birthday. And I will never forget that day. I'll never forget going home that night. I'll never forget waking up the next morning. I will never forget the experience of pulling open the curtain 
curtains in my room and looking at the lawn and the hedges that surrounded the lawn of my parents' backyard where I was living at the time. I'll never forget it, and this is why. Because when I saw the grass, I promise you, it was greener. It was like somehow, somehow, you know on, on Instagram, we've got any grammars out there today or Instas out there today? You know, there's this little button on the front. It's like a contrast button. And you know, you can take your photo, you click your photo. It looks pretty average, right? And then you just take that little button for all the amateur photographers like me out there and you press that button and suddenly it just punks up all the colors. And the green that's somewhere in the background suddenly looks alive and the grass is like, oh my gosh. And, you know, it's glowing in the dark. And that's what it's like when I found Jesus. It was like I'd seen the world, but it had always been bland. It was grass. But the moment I saw it and I was connected with Christ, it was like it had a new color to it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I went from plasma to LED. It was like Jesus stepped into my life and there was vibrancy. Wonder! I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it. The next thing that I noticed about discovering Jesus, when I, first, when I first met with God, the next thing that changed my life was the fact that I didn't need anything. I'd spent my whole life driven, wanting to meet with my friends, wanting to do stuff. But when I woke up, worried about what people were thinking about me, you know, always with an active mind, I woke up that morning connected to Jesus and I looked out that window and it was like, I was content People say, what was it like when you meet Jesus? And I can't lie. For me, I just felt for the first time in my life like everything was great. And that's what it's like when you find Jesus, right? So he's saying you were taught with regard to your former way of life. He's saying if you want to live on the spiral of wonder, it begins with an encounter. This is why David prayed. David, David, this great worshiper, right, wrote all these Psalms, lived a life that was filled with worship. That's the only life you're supposed to live. It's one filled with worship, filled with wonder, filled with a sense of God, you're amazing. Our family is memorizing the 23rd Psalm at the moment. The kids are doing a verse every few days. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want I'm content. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what David wrote. That's a life of encounter, right? But then the Bible tells us one day he drifted too. And he looks out his window and sees a babe, Bathsheba. She's naked, having a shower. He's like, whoa, mom, ma, she's amazing. And he He brings her to his house, commits adultery, cover up the adultery because she falls pregnant. He commits murder and he just spirals down into unwonder. The prophet confronts him for his sin and David writes the 51st Psalm. And then he repents of his sin and then he gets to a point when I believe it's in verse 20 of the 51st Psalm where he says this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's saying, bring me back to the place where I first encountered you. And I don't know what you feel you've lost, what's missing. I don't know what kind of chaos you feel your life is in, but I'm here to tell you that I, can, I know where you can find what you're looking for. And it's not another purchase away. It's not another, and it's not another step away from the pressure in your world. It's not the absence of whatever you're facing. It's when you encounter God again. You can live your life in an encounter with God. You do not have to live your life away from Him. 
Billy Graham was once interviewed on television at a time when uh, several prominent Christian ministers had fallen, and he, the, the interviewer was trying to really pull down Christianity cat blanche and wanted to use Billy Graham's interview as a way to do it. As he's interviewing Billy Graham, he's asking him about all these ministers who have fallen, and he's trying to get you know, Billy Graham to defend them, and of course he won't. He says, you know, immorality's wrong, financial impropriety's wrong. And as they're talking, Billy Graham ends up having to say that he believes that divorce is wrong. The interviewer says to him, what? Do you mean to say divorce is wrong? You mean to tell me, Billy Graham, that if you wake up tomorrow morning and you're out of love with your wife, that God wants you to live the rest of your life in a loveless and antagonistic relationship. That's God's plan. That's God's will, is that we would live in this kind of ho-hum existence, not even enjoying being at home with the person that we're living with. Are you telling me that that's God's will for us? Billy Graham answers the interviewer by saying, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm out of love with my wife, I'm gonna get out of bed only to fall on my knees. And I will not get off my knees until I am in love with her again. And church, that's what it's like when you encounter Jesus. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. And I don't know where we're drifting. I don't know what you've lost in your life, but you can get before God. You can do it today. You can do it this afternoon. You can do it tonight. And you can say, I'm not living another day without you, Jesus. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Bring me back to an encounter with you. Here I am on my knees, seeking you again. Fill me with you, God. Because encounter is where the life God has for us begins. You were taught, put off your old self. Then the Bible tells us in verse 24, it says that we are to be made new in the attitudes of our minds because encounter will lead you to a new attitude in the way that you think. And the attitude that encounter leads us to is an attitude of gratitude. Oh man, how many people know when you're a new believer, you're just pumped to be alive. I mean, you're just stoked to be a Christian. I mean, God didn't give you better shoes when you found Him. He didn't change your car. He didn't bump your salary. But you're just alive. You're just like, oh my gosh, I've got Jesus. I can't believe it. Even in the middle of everything, I've got God. And I'm just, wow, I can't believe it. You let me live. I could have died. Oh my gosh, look at the people in my world. Look at where I'm living. And your eyes become open, right? to see everything with new eyes, and we become filled with a sense of gratitude. Now we're sending our lives back on the journey, away, away from unwonder, back towards wonder, because our lives are alive again with not futile thinking, but we're glorifying God, and we're giving thanks to Him. And suddenly, everything's changing in our world. And oh, my friends, if we could just change one thing in our lives from the sermon, oh, I mean, change it by all of it, but could you become an increasingly thankful person? You have so much to be thankful for. You're breathing today. Are you joking? You've got breath? If you've got Jesus in your life, you're not going to hell. Everything else is a bonus. Man, oh man, I can't believe it. Like we get to be in church today. You get to be in a warm auditorium. I tell you, I've been up and down this country. There's cold churches everywhere. God brought you to a one with heating this morning. Seriously. Some people can't afford that. We're so, we're so blessed. 
We live in New Zealand. No one hates our country. I mean, we're so blessed. <laughs> a passport's like a formality for a New Zealander. We're just so blessed. And our lives become alive with the sense of gratitude when God jumps into them. And if we could live our lives in one thing, God wants us to live our lives in a sense of wonder, in a sense of gratitude. That's what it means to be someone who is connected to Christ. I, I gotta wind this up, but I, I wanna just give you one story and then, I, then I'll move on to my final point. For many years when I traveled um, as a preacher, I traveled with this old green um, suitcase. You know the ones that you put your jackets and your trousers in, that you lie flat, you open up a big zip, put the coat hangers in, then you fold it up and you zip it again. Anybody know those kind of cases I'm talking about? For many years, I traveled with one of these and it was old and, and, and it was green and had brown leather. It was, you know, like, like, uh, like uh, that fabric that's kind of like, sort of like this jacket, but, but green, like disgusting green and orange. Now it would probably be amongst certain young people in our church, very, very cool. But when I had it, it was like the opposite of cool. I travel with this case. And you know, when people, when people invite you to preach, the first thing they see about you really is your luggage. So when you're a preacher, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, you want to have the schmick luggage, you know, because then people, so people would pick me up from the airport and there I am, you know, hopping off this little Kiwi kid, red hair, you know, a few pimples going down. And I've got this little suitcase that looks like I got it from the worst Salvation Army thrifty store you've ever seen in your life. And I could see their faces. They're like, oh, dear God, we've got the wrong preacher. You look at it and you think, that's just, that's just a useless suitcase. But let me tell you the story behind it. That suitcase was given to me. It was given to me by a friend of mine who was given it by a friend of his, and that friend was given it in the 1970s by one and only Keith Green. Keith Green, for the young people in our church who don't know who he is, <laughs> was for decades the most significant Christian musician that we ever saw. I mean, just an amazing voice to the world and a brilliant prophet, just an incredible, and if you've never read his biography, no compromise. You need to read it. It's just such a riveting read. I read it. I couldn't put it down. Didn't sleep till I finished it. It's amazing. And my friend said to me, John, I see in you the same spirit that I feel when I listen to Keith's music, and I want to give you this case. How many people know that suitcase is no longer an old suitcase? It's not something from a Salvation Army store. Do you know what it is now? It's a gift. And the gift has a giver. And the fact that the gift has a giver makes the suitcase no longer worthless. It, in fact, makes it priceless. And I want you to understand. Yeah, come on. Give the Lord some praise. Now stretch it out. Stretch it out. And think about the life you're living. Think about the place that you're in. Think about the house you're living in, the people that you're married to. Think about the circumstances of your world and realize that there are no old green and brown suitcases. There are only gifts that come from a giver. And the giver's name is Jesus. Come on. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be thankful for everything that is in your world. And our encounter leads us to gratitude. Gratitude then leads us to commitment. Put on the new self. Take off your old self. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. And put 
put on the new self. Be increasingly committed to the life that you're living, the people that you're connected to, the relationship with God that got you where you are. The outflow of gratitude is always, when when you're so thankful for something, then you become more attached to it. You're not drifting from it. You You are running towards it. And here's the thing, that what you become committed to then leads you to a place of encounter where now you're like, oh my gosh, now that I'm committed to it, I realize how amazing it is. And suddenly we're drifting now, not away from wonder, but towards it. And that's why God is the beginning and God is the end. And the series is called In Wonder and it's about worship because when you and I reconnect with the God of the universe, we drift our lives not in the same spiral of materialism and selfishness that our generation is enslaved by, but we drift towards significance, happiness, life, contribution. We're increasingly generous, more and more trusting, more believing. We become better people. It'll lead us to a better society, a better New Zealand. And that's why God's looking for a bended knee and a yielded heart and a person who is gonna say, I believe in you. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.